So Acts chapter 15, we're going to end up picking up in verse 36. I, uh, uh, you've probably heard teachers explain things where, you know, as things were getting divvied up in the scriptures, sometimes it seems like there was an unnatural break in conversation. And I, I am of the mindset that verse 36 may uh, well have been moved to uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 1, because there's there's so much going on that I'll do a recap here. But then it gets right into this situation with Paul and Barnabas and uh, regarding Mark. But uh, just a, a backup here, a, a quick review. Uh, so backing up, looking at what we uh, studied last week. And if you're new here, that's our, our practice uh, to go through the Bible verse by verse. Uh, and that's what we're doing. And uh, we are uh, currently in Acts uh, chapter 15, verse 36. That's because we stopped at verse 35 last week. So uh, we are uh, just going to follow what the Lord gave us and, and go through the, the entire uh, scripture together. So last week we looked at the Jerusalem Council, and, and the main question, what, what they were trying to figure out is, uh, do people need to become Jews first b before becoming believers? And once they do, do they need to obey the Mosaic Law? So we discussed that last week, and Peter, James, Paul, and Barnabas, uh, once they all got together in uh, Jerusalem, and uh, the Jerusalem Council met, that would have been all the, the church leaders there. The ones that spoke were Peter, James, Paul and Barnabas, and uh, the the overwhelming response was a united response of why would we burden people who aren't Jews to then become Jews, uh, and uh, they just uh, they came to a uh, a consensus uh, from the Spirit, and and Peter even said why would we put a burden on them that that neither uh, our fathers or ourselves were able to bear? What are we doing here? You know, and then and then James uh, stood up and and speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit said that we need to narrow this down to four things with them and uh, and then really the summary of those four things is abstain from idolatry and uh, and from sexual immorality to for, from the, those two things don't get wrapped up in all the craziness of the idolatry around you. But the, the, the dietary restraints that were, that were being told to them were for them to be able to preserve their, their uh, relationship with the Jews in those areas rather than offending them. They're saying, hey, just, just don't partake in those things. Uh, you don't have to go. And, and Paul ends up uh, addressing that later on in different letters uh, in different places. But ultimately, uh, the goal is, is, is to be able to go to people and not just start offending them all the time. So this was also to preserve relationships with those neighbors. But they said, if you want to summarize it, don't get involved in idolatry and don't get involved in sexual immorality. Those two things, keep yourself pure uh, physically and, uh, and don't get into uh, idolatry. And uh, when the, the Gentile church heard that in Antioch, there was great rejoicing. The burden was lifted because they had had people come from Judea and say, no, you need to get circumcised. You need to become Jewish. And, and they were then burdened saying, well, I thought I had freedom in Christ. And there was uh, now they're hearing this, that they do have freedom in Christ and that we're saved by God's grace, his unearned favor, through faith, believing in him. That's it. That's how we're saved. We believe in God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that came to die for our sins. We profess our faith in him, like Romans 10 says. And uh, as we profess our faith in him, we believe in our hearts uh, and confess with our mouth that Jesus 
uh, is the Messiah, that he is who he says he was, then we're saved. Then, then uh, that's, that's salvation there. Uh, so it's a wonderful uh, burden lifted, and that includes us. We're, anybody who's not Jewish here, that includes us. We don't have anything else to do other than believe in God. You know, there's no mountain to climb and got to do this, got to do that, and all those things. It's just having a faith and a relationship with God. That's what God really wants, right? Would we want somebody walking around with us, acting like a friend, being a robot, and yes, I say that I want to do what you want to do, and all those things. No, we want that close relationship with a close friend. That's what God wants with us, that, that close relationship. No, we're not here to celebrate a religion here. We're here celebrating a relationship we have with God together. Each one of us has that. As a church, we have a relationship with God. So then we saw at the end, uh, when we're getting close to verse 35, that the leaders were exhorting, which would mean calling somebody alongside you to, to disciple them. One of them was Silas, and um, that, that they would uh, pull people along to, to help them grow and strengthening them in their faith. And so, uh, Silas was actually one that remained, uh, and the rest of them returned to Jerusalem. So that's where we're picking up in verse 36 of Acts chapter 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one that departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention so, it became so sharp that they departed from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and, uh, but Paul took Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So uh, where we pick up is, is now Paul approaches Barnabas and, and their ministry partners, very close friends, they love one another, uh, and he says, hey, I'd like to go back and visit the churches that we established in our first missionary journey. Let's go back and strengthen them. See how they're doing. Let's check in on them, right? And uh, Barnabas was like, great, cool. I'll go get uh, John Mark and, and we'll get going. And, and there, there comes uh, the problem. And uh, John was with them on that first missionary trip. And when they got to Pamphylia, left. And we don't really know everything uh, around the reasoning, uh, but uh, what we see here is that uh, there was, uh, as it's described there, that uh, he had not gone with them to the work. You know, they believed, Paul believed that he was led by the Spirit, wanted to go check on these churches, but where they differed, and Bar Barnabas was all, all good with that, where they differed was, do we take the guy that was ministering with us the first time and then bailed and went home, or do we not? Now, uh, you know, Mark, uh, he, was, he was there with them. We don't exactly know why, but Paul is opposed to taking him with him because uh, you know, he didn't want somebody that left him on the first one. He hadn't gone to do the work. So Paul saw Mark as unreliable and a liability. So Paul's not on board. And Barnabas, who's uh, in Acts chapter 4, we saw his real name is Joseph. But he has a nickname of Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So the son of encouragement wants to take the guy that's probably living in discouragement because he bailed on the first tour, right? 
and uh, and he he's you know confronting Paul like come on man let, let's let's take him along what are we doing why aren't we taking him and their their dispute got got so sharp that they decided we're going in, we're not going to come to an agreement we're going in different ways and uh, you know unfortunately it got there and you know he wants to restore Mark uh, Barnabas does and. Uh, he wants for he and Paul to take him along, but they they can't come to an agreement, and they got uh, the the debate got heated. Now uh, these are godly men. A heated debate's going to sound different than worldly men. Worldly men's I'm going to punch you in the face if you don't shut your face and you go along with a right. Okay, so but this is they're still human. They still have uh, this uh, disagreement here, and they realize you know what. We're getting too fired up at each other. We're probably going to say things we don't want to say to each other. Why don't you go here, and I'm going to take Silas, and I'm going to go there, and we'll split. We'll split up. And that's unfortunately, uh, you know, the case for them. They had they had to split up to maintain their relationship. Um, I always wonder when I'm reading this. Was Mark standing like right there, like? You know, is he kicking a rock like, uh, am I going? Do I pack a bag? Like, that could be a little awkward for Mark, but uh, we, we don't know. That's uh, just my weird mind saying, was, was he right there or, or whatever it might have been. But uh, so there's a difference of opinion that these guys have. And uh, we, uh, as a church, need to understand we are going to have those. It doesn't mean that if I have one opinion and uh, you have one that you're even half right. No, just kidding. No, <laughs> just what we get to a point of is is we get to the point where I'm right, you're wrong, and we're not, and and we get into those those mindsets. But uh, we could both. One thing I will say is that the church does 100% need to be lockstep on doctrinal uh, positioning. We we need to be. We need to be okay. Who is Jesus Christ? Because if we come to any other conclusion other than God in the flesh. Uh, then we don't. Then there's there's no brother and sister uh, relationship there. One doesn't believe in Jesus, and one does. Okay, so some of the big things, but sometimes how ministry is done, where it's done, uh, who goes with us, who doesn't, those types of things, those things, uh, you know, aren't necessarily uh, things that we need to get all bent out of shape over. I mean, these guys did. You know, uh, we're it's it's okay to have differences. But uh, preserving the health of a personal relationship should be guarded. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So there's that. Paul understood contention. He understood that there was going to be disagreement. But what he's saying here is, you know what? If everybody treats each other and has an approach of lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, patience with one another, you know, bearing with one another in love, right? I'm sure any of us have probably been to a point where you just got to bear with it, you know, and that maybe this person rubs you the wrong way. Maybe you're not supposed to be ministry partners, but we are called to be brothers and sisters, right? And, and that's where we have to put in the work and say, I'm going to put my pride and my little attitude aside, and I'm going to love this brother or sister uh, because maybe they feel the same way about you, you know, whatever it is. But the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, what does our, our enemy want other than to separate the church, bring division, right? 
to bring division. That way uh, the, the church is in a weak spot. He'll do the same individually. He'll separate an individual. Why don't you go do this? And then I could just take you out over here because you've got nobody else around you. That's how our enemy works. You watch, Like I've said, watch Animal Planet. It's easy to see. The predator separates the prey, eats the prey. You know, that's how it works. So these guys get to this point here, and uh, they agree to split. And Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus, and Cyprus was Barnabas's hometown. Barnabas was a Levite from, uh, from Cyprus, and Paul took Silas along. Now, we spoke a little bit about Silas, but if you go back and look in, in uh, the, just a few verses back in 32 through 34, Silas is a prophet. He was one that would call others alongside him in ministry to strengthen them. And he wanted to remain in Antioch uh, to, to minister. That's what he wanted to do. So uh, that's a, all noble things. Uh, that This is somebody that Paul, when he observed him and got to know him, said, I want this guy to be along with us in our ministry. And he, he took him along. So uh, you know, one thing regarding John Mark is he went with his, uh, his family member Barnabas, and he went and did ministry. But there's a reconciliation that happens between Paul and Mark later on. And that those are a, a blessing here because we see the separation, right? But to see the restoration is beautiful. So uh, you're going to see some verses pop up. Uh, the first section here is that Paul commanded a warm welcome for him, uh, Mark, uh, while he was writing to the Colossian church. Colossians 4.10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. He doesn't say if he comes to you, I remember that young punk. You know, when things got bad and we were about to do some work in Pamphylia, and let me tell you some more, he doesn't do any of that, right? What Paul says is if he comes, welcome him. So, so there's, there's a, a wonderful thing uh, to see there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, young pastor uh, at Ephesus. And he says, verse 11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Guys, you see the work of the Holy Spirit there? They went from, he's not useful to me. I don't want him going along. That as time went... Uh, we, we see that Mark had matured. You know, Paul's not only asking for him, he said that he's going to be useful. This is somebody that I can use in ministry. That Paul, as he's the leader there, says, there's something in, t in, in Mark that I, I, I see that is very useful, and, and uh, uh, God is, is going to use him, bring him along. And what we learn here is Barnabas, the son of encouragement, had properly discipled him in ministry. Because over time, he became reliable. Over time, he became one that could be trusted to roll up his sleeves and get to work, right? When it came to it in Pamphylia, he, he packed up and head, headed home. But he learned from that. He, was, he continued to seek and serve God and uh, faithfully, and, and as he saw Barnabas doing, and, and uh, he uh, was now useful in ministry. He's no longer considered a potential liability. And If you don't see a God speaking to us about second chances, about grace and restoration, uh, then uh, go through and read that again. 
because it's very powerful when you when you combine these verses, Colossians four and Second uh, Timothy four, and we see where those things, you know, where it started out with, no, I can't use him, don't even want him along, he's he's a burden to me. To hey, you know what? If you see him, greet him, uh, give him a, give him a welcome, right? And then hey, bring him along. Now that's that Second Timothy, that letter, that's Paul signing off on life. Paul knew that his end was coming, his life was coming to an end, so he's writing that second letter to Timothy, signing off, saying, "Hey, I'm about to be martyred," and he was. He lost his head, and but what does he say in his last letter, right near the end of it? This guy, over time, has become useful. God has changed him, and he's now reliable. If we don't think we have second chances in life and ministry, get into the Bible and start reading. Because God speaks to us and he teaches us about these things. Remember that in our own lives, but also in others, right? Because if we, we, we I know Will has shared this with me and I, I love that he did, but um, he learned it from Ken. And I don't know where Ken, either the Lord told him or he heard it, but our sin always looks worse when somebody else is doing it, right? It's easy to look at somebody else and go, failure, 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 failure. And then we look in the mirror Probably not able to look in it very long, right? When we're reflecting on who we are, right? So there's failure. There's moral failure there, but then there's failure even in ministry where, you know what, I should have done that. I should have been reliable. I shouldn't have given up or those things. God gave the second chance to Mark. Mark was serious about ministering, and he now uh, is someone who is seen as useful. And God will use us if and when and how he sees fit when we become willing vessels for him. So be encouraged. You're sitting here going, well, God gave me a chance back in 1982, and I didn't step into that ministry position. I'll, I'll share with you guys. Um, when Jen got out of the Air Force and, and we were moving back here, we, uh, um, I was uh, uh, serving as the youth pastor at our church, and uh, Jen was just being an awesome leader to the young ladies there. And we made the decision to move home. And uh, within two weeks of all our, like us getting here and all our stuff's on the way, our, our senior pastor calls and says, Hey, uh, the, the guy who is our, our uh, assistant pastor has accepted a position at a different church. Uh, and he's, he's leaving. I'd uh, like you guys to pray about coming back. Guys, I just drove 3,000 miles back here. All right. And there was the question of, what do I do? <laughs> like, did I just did I just make the biggest this you know wrong decision of my life? And now I got to pack my family. We only had Madison at the time; she was uh, just uh, less than six months old. And I'm faced with this decision in, in winter in Maine, and uh, it was uh, right around uh, January of uh, 2003. And uh, and I'm going, I don't know how to decipher this. So at the time, we were at Calvary in Orrington, and I asked Ken, "Can we meet?" And I presented this with him. I'm like, so this is what I'm looking at, right? Did I did I totally miss the Lord? Am I am I being disobedient and moving back here? Like, what's going on here? And he gave me he gave me uh, some uh, information and he shared some some wisdom. And he said he just told me that the Lord, as long as you're honoring the Lord in your life, He's going to bless you wherever you go. And I was so blessed by that. And we prayed about it more, and we stayed here. You know, it, 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 it was tough, but uh, we believe that the Lord uh, brought us here and, and that we were here uh, and, and, you know, we're still here 20 years later. But it was it was tough. It was a tough situation. And I and over the years, I was like, did I did I mess up? Was I supposed to stay there? Like and I just got to a point where I'm like, dude, get over it. 
you know? So sometimes we just need to have that mentality. Do that, whatever it is, right? So you need to say that to yourself. Just get real with yourself and say, I don't know, but God's going to do what he's going to do, and I'm just going to move forward with him from here. We can't go back and change the past, but I'm going to move forward with him from here. Acts chapter 16, we see a uh, young man named Timothy being introduced here. Verse 1, then he, Paul, came to Derby and Lystra. Now, uh, regarding this, we're going to stop there in the first half of, of one. Uh, Paul uh, had visited Derby in his first missionary journey and Lystra, right? Probably familiar with Lystra. Uh, last time he was there, uh, he had healed a lame man and everybody tried to worship he and Barnabas. And um, then after uh, they stopped him from worshiping them, uh, they stoned him. <laughs> so I am I I when I was you know studying this and everything I'm like he definitely went in with a football uniform on this time right he's got the helmet shoulder pads on and he's ready to go but uh so that was Lystra and what we learn about Paul when you're studying the life of Paul is he was dead serious about ministering dead it just he was willing to give his life so willing that here he is regardless of the consequences and costs he's right back there. He's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. The second half of verse 1 says, And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So Timothy, uh, what we see here, um, uh, what's cool is his Greek name is Timotheus. And uh, I just wish he would have stayed with that. It's pretty cool. But anyways, but Timothy. And uh, uh, he's a believe he has a believing uh, Jewish mother and a Greek father, so he has a Greek name, and he's being raised in Greek culture. Uh, if you we kind of get a glimpse into his life, uh, if you had just kind of picked up the Bible and you were reading, but if you you want to know more about him, uh, you could look at Second Timothy chapter one verse five, and to understand who he was, because it says here that he was a disciple. So that means that he's already a believer. And uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which was first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. So we know that he's a young man of genuine faith, that his faith was passed down by, as a precious heritage. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's an encouragement to any of us. We've got children, grandchildren, uh, you know, nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever it is, people that have been brought into our lives that we can influence, influence them with the heritage of faith, that they would understand, oh, hey, that uncle, that aunt, whatever, they're serious about the Lord, and they have a relationship with God, and every time I talk to them, they're always so nice, and they're always telling me I should have a relationship with God. They may not take it right off. They might. Who knows? We don't know, but our job is to minister by how we speak and by how we live. Those two things should match up, right? Because we can, if, if we're living the life of do as I say, not as I do, what we see is they were those people. Those are tremendous ladies, Eunice and Lois, tremendous women that were pouring their faith and their, their, uh, their time into the life of uh, Timothy and uh, that he was growing in his faith. Another uh, passage we can look at is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, But you must continue in these things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
So Timothy was young, and Paul, as he's, uh, like I said, 2 Timothy is Paul signing off. He's, he's you know, writing his last letters and everything. And he's telling Timothy that you've had this faith in you since you were little. And he tells him, you must continue in what you've learned and been assured of. And you know uh, that you receive them from genuine loved ones, is what Paul tells him. And that you've known the scriptures from your childhood. That they were able to make you wise and to lead you to a relationship with Christ. He's reminding Timothy because it, I, it makes you wonder, okay, was there a question? Like, is my faith genuine? Am I? Because how many times did Paul... Uh, address these things, right? There, how many times do we do we second guess ourselves? Am I real, right? Because there are times where we can look and go, "Why would God want me?" Right? Realizing that God didn't call the perfect; He called us as sinners. That He's going to work through us, and uh, and He's going to change us in those things. But where where He tells him in in chapter one that there was a genuine faith that, that was in Him. Uh, you know, I call to remembrance these things. And I'm persuaded that this genuine faith is in you also. And you must continue uh, in these things. And, and, and he says that you uh, have learned them and that from your childhood, knowing from whom you've learned them. That's what he's telling Timothy is look back. Look back on who you learned these from. You know that they had a genuineness of faith. You do too. And he's just, he's just encouraging there. And he says you've known these holy scriptures. So we're getting a, a, a quick glimpse into who Timothy is here just by fast-forwarding a little bit and looking into the letters that, Tim, uh, that, that, that Paul wrote to Timothy. But he's a certain young disciple that Paul uh, has, uh, knows that he has the calling of the Lord on his life. Another thing about him, verse 2 says, He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So that's a, uh, he's of good reputation. He's well spoken of by the brethren. So the church, the church knows him and that he's in good standing in the church, that he's somebody that, that's a, uh, reputable. And that's a great trait uh, when, when you can see that, that, uh, that he's well spoken of. And that's something to emulate in our lives, that, that our brothers and sisters would know that we love the Lord, that we love them, and we love other people. And uh, that we live our lives according to the scriptures. Then we're going to have, uh, will be well spoken of amongst the brethren. Verse 3, Paul wanted him to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, if your head's kind of spinning right now going, wait a minute, I thought they didn't have to be circumcised and everything. Let's dive into this a little bit more. So Paul saw leadership and ministry qualities in Timothy, and he wanted to take him along uh, in his ministry journey. He's well known, he, but he has a Greek father, which meant, meant that uh, not having um, and his name, that means that his, his Greek uh, influence in his life would mean that he's, he's not circumcised either. So what that would do is then the Jews that are around there, would get, that would give them a reason to oppose. It would give them a reason to get all fired up and everything. So Paul, because uh, we know Paul's, Paul's heart, right? We just saw in 15 where he is just you know, red in the face saying, wait a minute, we are not going to burden these new believers. They do not need to be circumcised to come to faith in Christ. They don't need to do that for salvation. They don't need to do what the Jews did. Paul did this to allow for smooth ministering 
for the positive effect of the effect of the ministry. Again, Paul certainly didn't believe that it was necessary for right standing with God, and it's not a requirement, but Paul knew that this would be beneficial to them in their ministry. Consider 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. They should come up here. Paul said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without the law. That's the Gentiles, those that weren't following the Mosaic law. He's saying that I could live in freedom amongst the Gentiles there. That I might win those who are among, uh, verse 22, to the weak I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Verse 23 says, now I do this for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Does that shine a little bit of light on why he would do that? Being all things to all people. What? Oh, you don't eat hot dogs? Great, I won't eat hot dogs. You know, he just doesn't want to offend all of If that's going to be, if eating a hot dog is going to be what stops you uh, from uh, listening to me and presenting the gospel, burger it up. Right. It's that approach. You know, Paul's saying, I'm not going to take all these stupid things that I can just just cast off and I'm going to make myself. Now, does people have misinterpreted this and they've said, I'm going to be all things to all people. I'm going to start going to the bars Friday night. No, <laughs> that's not what he's saying here. He's saying I was doing these things to minister to Christ. Walking into the bar saying, oh, this doesn't, this thing, this uh, whole scene isn't going to affect me any. I'm not going to get led away by, you know, that guy or uh, if you're uh, a woman or, you know, that girl over there. I'm, no, I'm too strong for all those things. Setting ourselves up for failure. What he's saying is in ministry, the easy things to take care of. Oh, does this bother you? Okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to consider what, what thing might trigger you or whatever. And I just, if he's ministering to a Jew, he's like, I'll eat fish. You know, he's not going to have the BLT in front of somebody. He's just saying we're going to do. So what he wanted to do with Timothy is he didn't want the Jewish opposition. So he takes him and now they can't open their mouths about it. And now they can move forward in their ministry. Verse four. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which uh, were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So uh, he would, as they were going through, they were sure to make sure that everybody understood what came of the Jerusalem council. Abstain from idolatry and sexual immorality. Don't flaunt your freedoms amongst your Jewish uh, neighbors. And uh, if you do these things, you're going to be in pretty good shape. So upon hearing of their freedoms in Christ, it says the church was strengthened in their faith, increased in numbers daily. So they were strong and they were growing just because they knew that they were saved by grace through faith. The, the burdenless walk of, of having a relationship with Christ was a blessing to them. Verse 6, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. 
and after they had come to uh, Mysia, they had uh, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So uh, might stick out to you there in verse six, where it says they going to try to minister, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, right? I mean, if there's going to be something that will kind of make you turn your head a little bit, like why wouldn't God want the, the, the gospel uh, to get to Asia? I thought we were supposed to go out. And look a little further. They tried to go north to Bithynia, uh, you know, take the southern coast of the Black Sea, but uh, the Spirit did not permit them. So, uh, you know, here they are, and, uh, you know, they're, they're missionaries, and uh, what we see is that they skirt the region of Mysia, and they came to a seaport city in Troas. Now, um, the question is, how did they know? Like, how did the Spirit reveal to them? We don't know. But they were certain that God was telling them, don't go there. And no, we're going to keep you from right. I'm going to keep you from from ministering here. Also, the word doesn't explain why, but you know we can easily uh, rationalize ministering anywhere, right? Well, why why wouldn't God want me to go here or there? I don't know. He'll reveal that. But if He's specifically telling us, you know, um, it, it, that that we're not supposed to go, it might not be the right timing. You might not be the person He wants to send there. You know, there there might be uh, somebody. There might be something you're being protected from. We don't know, but when God gives us an answer, we have to listen and uh, and follow Him. And what we see here is that they were prayerfully guided by closed doors, right? When we pray for uh, ministry opportunities, we we pray for open doors, right? But also, we need to understand that God closes doors. Also, God isn't like our genie where we say, "God, open the door," and we stand there and. Like a game show, wait for the door to open, right? No, God does what he wants to, and he tells us what he wants us to do. One thing that they were absolutely sure of is that God told them not to go. They will later, and uh, you know, uh, Paul will visit Ephesus in Asia, but um, they were not permitted at that point. God had them where he wanted them uh, to do what he wanted them to do, and that was right where they were at. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and, pl and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after they had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia, and they went westward. Uh, that would be westward across the Aegean Sea and Instead of ministering in Asia, they were now in Europe, and uh, this this area, this what we're looking at, is uh, known as the Macedonian call. Paul's plan was to visit the churches that he had planted, but uh, uh, and then uh, to reach some un unchurched areas. Uh, but God had other plans. So here's a reminder to us. Always yield our will to him and always yield our plan to his. Uh, that's what we're seeing spelled out in Paul's life. God had a different plan and he had a different, uh, that that wasn't in his His will. So they said, well, we're not going to go. And uh, understand that the Lord's thoughts and ways are much higher than ours. We just need to trust him and be obedient. 
rather than telling God, I know better than you do, and I know this person will listen and everything. God tells us, I don't want you ministering to that person. I don't want you to do this, or I do want you to do that. Listen to what he says. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And when the Lord is saying something to us, we can bounce that over and say, oh, you know what, I don't know if that's from the Lord. If I'm just you know, spinning myself up, go to the Word, and the Word will confirm it. Call a brother and sister and say, hey, uh, will you pray? Because I, I, I don't know if the Lord's calling me to do this or that. And uh, the Lord will reveal his way to us. So Paul was, what's cool here is he was looking to minister in cities, but God was actually sending him to minister to a whole continent for Christ, which is pretty cool. So uh, the man pleading, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, when, when he received that vision, they concluded that the Lord was calling them to preach there, and uh, they immediately went. Now, verse 10, now after he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. So uh, some of these, uh, the, the wording changes as we're going here, and we'll look into that here in just a moment. But it went from they to we, uh, so we'll look at this here. But this man was pleading, and immediately they sought to go, to obey God's uh, calling from the vision. And uh, again, a reminder, if God says go, go. If he says wait, wait. If he says no, the answer is no, right? So whatever God's answers are, that's what we obey, and that's how we move forward. <clears throat> so there's a, a we. In verse 8, it says that the, the, uh, it's, it's describing that ministry was happening with they, uh, so some scholars speculate that Luke may have actually been the man in the Macedonian call. There's no way to really know, but that's kind of a neat way to think of it. Uh, was it Luke? That, because we don't have a whole lot of, of history on Luke, uh, where he came, uh, you know, his history, uh, those things. But we don't know. We know he was a doctor and he was a writer. And uh, he's uh, now included because Luke is writing this. Uh, Luke wrote uh, the book of Acts. And now he's included in this ministry team, and he says, we. Um, and we know that Luke becomes near and dear to uh, Paul in his life. Colossians 4.14, he's called Luke the beloved physician. Uh, so that's, that's a pretty neat way of, of looking at these things. Now, uh, as a result of Paul being obedient to God, calling him uh, through this, what's known as the Macedonian call, churches were established in Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, and in Corinth. So uh, there are uh, five New Testament epistles that were written uh, to these three churches. So this call is, is very important to us in our own walk. When you can consider the, the letter uh, to, for, when you, uh, you've got Philippians, then first and second Thessalonians, first and second Corinthians. Those five letters were written as a result of, of uh, Paul. Uh, ministering to those uh, three places during this time. Verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, uh, uh, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the formal city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And uh, we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out from the city uh, to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named uh, Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, 
who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her, her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house uh, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So she's a good saleswoman uh, here. But uh, uh, look at verse 11. Look at the first word. It says, therefore. Right? I, I love that. That there's the, the therefore is because they weren't, uh, they were clearly called to Macedonia. They didn't go where they were forbidden, but they did go where they were led by the Lord. So that therefore is very powerful. If you just read over that, just realize it's because God didn't call us there and he called us here, therefore we went where God called us. There's obedience in both, not doing what he says not to do and doing what he says to do. So they're godly ministers doing godly things as the Spirit led them. So the Spirit is key not only to us in our spiritual walk, but also in spiritual leadership. As he leads, we follow. So the rest of the course uh, that they take is is explained, and uh, when they get to uh, when they get to um, Philippi, and they were staying in the city on the Sabbath day, uh, they they come to uh, a a place outside the city uh, to the riverside, and uh, that's a place where prayer was customarily made. So uh, they went where the people would be, right? If you want to minister, oh hey, here's where they're going to be. Let's go minister to them there. So when they went there, they noticed women who were there. There's no mention of men being there. Now, if there were more than 10 men in that area that were Jewish, they would have had Jewish synagogue. But where there weren't 10, the, uh, where there wasn't one, we can, uh, we can assume uh, that there was not a Jewish synagogue in the area because there weren't enough Jewish men there. But this is another testament to the faith of these ladies. Remember Eunice and Lois, and now you have Lydia. You know, precious in the eyes of the Lord, regardless of what sinful men have tried to do to oppress uh, ladies over uh, time. Uh, the Lord has a special place in his heart uh, and very much used ladies in their faith to teach us as they're uh, demonstrating their faith. We can learn uh, from these ladies. We can learn when you look at how serious they were, you know, on Sabbath day. Uh, those who weren't Jewish weren't celebrating the Sabbath. And she's a seller of purple. Uh, you know, purple is a, a precious thing uh, to be able to, it was quite a process to get uh, to make uh, the purple threading and those things to get the dye, having to get the right snails to get the, the dye out and let it sit for quite a while. And after it sat for a little while and turned purple, then they could use it to dye. So that was quite a process. And on what might be the busiest day, what is she doing? Rather than having business, she's at church and she's praying uh, there. So uh, we see her. Uh, she's a seller of purple. She's from Thyatira, but seems to be living there in, in Philippi. She's a godly, hardworking woman. And, uh, we'll, and we saw that she's hospitable. So she's selling a purple linen and, and she's there. And it says that she worshiped God. Uh, so she's likely a Jew uh, but was gathered because she was gathered together uh, with them to pray on the, the Sabbath. So uh, she didn't know about Jesus yet. She didn't, you know, when she heard, uh, she was blessed by it. And we see the response from it. You know, uh, so what we see here is the first recorded convert in Europe. Uh, and it was Lydia. So it's pretty cool. Paul spoke and uh, she was baptized along with her household. 
and she begged them all to stay and persuaded them. Like I said, good salesperson. She had uh, got to the point where she was good at selling purple, and uh, she got these guys to come along and, hey, we've got plenty of room for you. Come stay at our house. So, you know, she's, uh, she's seeking God, uh, and she hears the gospel, and God made sure she heard the gospel. Very similar to Cornelius. You might think back. Cornelius was a man that, that was seeking God in his life, and God made sure that he heard uh, the gospel. So that, that ask, seek, find mentality. 2 Corinthians 16, verse 9, the first half of that says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You know, the, she's just serious about her relationship with the Lord, and God divinely appoints her to be right there and for them to be right there. And she comes to know Jesus as her Savior. Verse 16, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination uh, met us, who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. So these, the, the, the declaring that these men were servants of the Most High God wasn't anything to bring God glory, and Paul picked up on that. So we see here uh, that as they went to prayer, look at that. Verse 16, now it happened as they went to prayer, here comes somebody to interrupt prayer, right? They're going to prayer, and here comes demonic interruption. You can be sure that our enemy does not want us praying, does not want us in our Bible, does not want us at church, does not want us growing in our relationship with the Lord and properly ministering uh, in school, in, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, those things. So as they went to prayer, uh, a, a woman possessed uh, by a demon uh, who is described as a young as a slave girl, so she'd be young, says uh, possessed by a spirit of divination. The word divination comes from the Latin divinare, uh, meaning to foresee or to be inspired by a god, little g, uh, to acquire knowledge by supernatural demonic means is what it's saying. Uh, this is strictly prohibited by the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy, you'll see it up there, 18 verses 9 and 10. This is reading from the, uh, the ESV. It says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There uh, shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. Those things are strictly prohibited by the Lord. Christians should have absolutely no participation with these things. No fortune telling, hey, we're walking down the street. Let's go in and check it out. No. Have nothing to do with those things. Absolutely nothing to do with them. Because the Bible declares that that's demonic. It's not a game. It's not a joke. Yeah, are, are some of them fake? Yes. Okay, and they're just going to take care, take advantage of people. They want your money. They have nothing good for you. Absolutely nothing good for you. When the scripture speaks against it, I'm going to agree with the scripture 100% of the time. 
No future, uh, you know, fortune telling, tarot cards, witchcraft, anything. It's all forbidden in the scripture. It's not harmless entertainment. The scripture describes it as sinful, wicked, uh, and demonic. It's forbidden. So if that doesn't set the record straight, I'll give you the notes and you can uh, check them out. So what we see here is that this, this young girl is profiting at the hands of greedy men. Unfortunately, uh, even in this day, women are being exploited by sinful men and still bringing in tons of money of which they see little to none of because they're slaves. She was a slave girl. Today, you're going to see it more along the lines of sex slaves being exploited. It's just awful. Same mindset, just a different thing. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. These are greedy men. Where does that come from? The evil that's rooted right in their heart because of the love of money that they have. Such great wickedness in benefiting from another's demonic possession. Can you imagine like, oh, they're demon possessed. Cool, let's make some money. You know, that's, that's a wicked thing to say. So they're benefiting from others being oppressed. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, from their chains. Now, it doesn't necessarily just have to be that. When you're considering somebody who's benefiting from somebody being enslaved to something, think of a drug dealer. You know, I, uh, I've watched many drug um, uh, documentaries. We've all uh, seen what drugs do in the lives of loved ones and friends. And You know, think of those. Just if you look at it from a, a drug perspective. But watching these drug documentaries, they're like, Somebody's gonna. I I know this probably isn't the right thing to do, but people are making money on it. Why shouldn't it be me? Because now you have blood on your hands, moron. Is the answer right? It's stu It's wrong. It's wicked. That's a wicked thing to do. It's not a cool thing to do at all. You're destroying people's lives. It's the same thing. So Paul and his ministry team are walking forward, and she's behind them. And if you just look at the text, it seems like she's saying the right thing. But it's taunting. It's taunting. And it went on for many days. Paul grew greatly annoyed and he cast the spirit out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Christ is more powerful than any demon. And it's simple command and he was gone. And that was it. And look at the response. Verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And we don't know any more about this young girl, but they certainly didn't care about her well-being. They weren't like, oh, hey, she's made us a lot of money. Maybe we should take care of her. No, they're immediately mad at Paul and Silas, and they want to drag them in. We know that they're greedy men, and they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace where other people would be there. And verse 20 says, And they brought them, in, brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, uh, to receive and observe. Then the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
So here they go. They stir everybody up. They lost money. Uh, who was their money was their god. Mammon was their god, and they were very greedy. And now they're mad, and they stir up the city. The multitude freak out. They strip them of their clothes, and they beat Paul and Silas. It says with many stripes and throw them into prison. Uh, and they say to keep them securely. That means you know as securely as you can. So they take him, uh, the the keeper of the prison, puts them in the inner prisons and and fastens their stocks, their feet in stocks. It's uncomfortable and it's torture. So they're in uncomfortable positions and they're stuck there. They can't walk around, can't stretch their legs. They're stuck. Their their feet are in stocks. That's a that's an awful place. So they've been beaten with many stripes. Now they're thrown in there, and uh, no no doubt their backs bleeding and and just and they have no way to really tend to themselves. They can't you know walk around. And everything their feet are in stocks. They're stuck. They can't go anywhere. Now, I don't need, mean to be grotesque, but consider your bathroom. All those things. This isn't your modern-day jail, right? It's not like you're stuck there. Hey, here's your three hots and a cot, and, you know, we'll talk to you tomorrow. No, they beat him up and then made things really uncomfortable for him. Verse 25. But, I love that word in the scriptures, but at midnight... Paul and, and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Failure meant death for him. So he's just going to kill himself. But Paul uh, called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour uh, of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. <clears throat> now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, uh, having believed in God with all his household. What a powerful story. We see true Christianity being lived out. They're singing while they're in agony. That, that it says here that they were praying and, and singing, and, and look what it says at the end of verse 25, and the prisoners were listening. They, the, everyone around is seeing the circumstances they're in, and like, wait a minute. I know what just happened there, and I'm hearing them praying and singing. What is going on here? They're living out their faith every day, regardless of their circumstances and consequences, and God honored it and used them. So as they're doing this, and everybody's listening, earthquake the doors fall off and this guy's like they're all gone i'm dead and he's about to kill himself paul saves his physical life and then leads him to spiritual uh life right after this which is awesome right and you guys know this is a soft toss situation right the guy literally walks up to them and says how can i be saved we've talked about that softball right softball the soft toss and you can wind up and crank it this is one of those moments how do i get saved believe in jesus perfect done Right. And they believe in Christ and uh, they're baptized. And they, it says here that they were 
they were uh, caring for Paul and Silas' wounds, and you know they came to salvation. The family heard it, and they wanted to be saved, and everybody gets saved and baptized. So we see that God used their persecution to put them in the situation where others would be saved. And when you look at the, the totality of what that all says, is they were there living out their faith, and it drew people in because their faith was real, and God did something powerful, and other people came to salvation. Let's finish this out. Verse 35. When it was day, the magistrates sent the officer saying, Let these men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. So he's like, Hey, got some good news for you guys. And look at verse 37. But Paul said to them, uh, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. That's a problem. And uh, have thrown us into prison. And now uh, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. <laughs> I love this. I love this. The magistrates are like, all right, we've had our fun. Let's get rid of them here. And this keeper who now loves Paul and Silas is like, hey, guys, I got some good news. This is all over with. You know, go in peace. Love you guys. All those things. And Paul's like, mm -mm. nope, make them come down. These guys have to know. I'm going to make them squirm a little bit because we're, we're beaten and we're uncondemned, uncondemned Romans. That's a very serious crime. You can't beat a, a Roman until they've been through all of the, 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 uh, Ro what the lo Roman law uh, provides for protection for them. And they have to then be found guilty. And then they can be beaten. Wait, wait a minute. You're trumping Rome and you're doing this? Now you got to answer to Rome. They're getting all scared, right? Paul says, no, you have them come down. And, and uh, Paul describes his Roman citizenship, that he's, he was born uh, a Roman in Acts uh, 22. So these guys probably paid for their Roman citizenship. Paul was born a, a Roman citizen. So he said, no, 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 no. They're not getting off the hook. You tell them to get their butts down here and we're going to have a talk. Right? So uh, right here, verse 38. Uh, and the officers told these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that uh, they were Romans. Now you had to, you know, Paul and Silas are chuckling, you know, right? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, they're tough yesterday. Uh, then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So now they're coming and pleading. Hey, sorry about yesterday. Sorry about everything. Really, really, really sorry. Would you guys please leave? <laughs> just, just go. Why don't you guys just go? And look at Paul uh, and Silas. They're graciously leaving. They made their point. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They went back to Lydia's house. They get there. They had been beaten and everything. And what do they do? Their mindset is other people. And they're there to strengthen and encourage the, brother, the brethren that are there. And after they're done encouraging them, rather than coming in like, guys, I just got the snot kicked out of me. Can you guys encourage me? Because I, you know, I'm gonna pack up and head back. What do I do? You know, I thought this is where God called me. No, they knew. They were sure of the call, and they knew. Paul knew, and it was told to him that he's gonna suffer many things for for Christ's name. He knew that he was not a, a prisoner of Rome when he was in Rome. He was a prisoner of Christ that happened to be stationed in Rome by Christ. If that makes sense. Right. So so uh, Paul uh, understood the call and he knew that he had to uh, to walk out his faith. So the history of the church and the world forever changed because of this God given dream we know as the Macedonian call. So we just studied through internal issues, external persecution and demonic interruption, unexpected directions from the Lord where they thought they could go one way and they were told not to. And then said, hey, go in this direction. Uh, they had obedient hearts 
and we see that God saved the lost uh, using them and they encouraged the brethren, then they were off to whatever God had for them next. Awesome chapter. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we love you and we are grateful, Lord, to, to see the second chance that Mark got in ministry and the work that you did in Paul's heart to accept him and, uh, and to see that he was uh, useful. Lord, we see freedom in Christ happening in Lydia's life and in that young lady's life and in the jailer's life. Oh, Lord, that you worked so many things for good for those that loved you and are called according to your purpose, just like it says in Romans 8.28. Such a blessing knowing we can trust you and that you use us. Knowing we're not perfect, but Lord, you do the work in our lives and you change us and you use us. We are grateful for it. Help us to stand firm in our faith in you. And Lord, that we wouldn't be discouraged, but we would be encouraged if we face opposition, knowing that you're, you told us it was coming. Help us to stand firm in our faith and bless you in how we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.